0: Welcome to the Hear K-Tell podcast, a podcast where we discuss the transitions from sport to career. I am your host, Christina Alexander. I am joined today by my dear friend, my best friend, my mentor, change agent, an individual who has spent 18 years as an assistant coach at the Division I collegiate level, who is now a manager in the fitness industry. She spent eight years as a manager. Please welcome none other than Marcel Harrison. What's up, Sal? Hey, big K. <laughs> What's happening? Folks don't even know that nickname, but throw it out there, sister. Good
1: morning. Um, yes. I'm, yes. I'm excited. I'm excited for you um, with this podcast. And I think, really think you found your lane. Um, you've always had a great voice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, I think this is, this is awesome. Um, this that you're just stuff that you're putting out there, uh, with some, some of the great, uh, guests that you've had. I've listened to a few of your, your podcasts. You You had, uh, Wendy Palmer on there.
0: Dub P, Dub P. Yeah. (laughs) I appreciate that. I had to go back into the vault to get out some folks (laughs) that I know have and continue to change the world. And so when I, when I label you as a change agent, I mean that in this most sincerest, the most honest, most humbling, the most you get on my nerves, the most I love (laughs) you regardless. And and I just want to share with the world your story. And so, you know, my first question is the journey of Marcel Harrison. For those listeners who do not know, but will eventually find out where did it all start? When and, and with whom? Like, what was your foundation?
1: Wow. Um. Wow, this goes, well, you know, I actually started basketball kind of late relative to when kids are starting, you know, now and, and, you know, they're starting Suzy they Board, you know, the parents put the basketball <laughs> in their hand. You know? True, true. Um, but for me, excuse me, let to so take a sip here. Get the crinks out of the voice. Um, for me, I started basketball in the eighth grade. Was the first time I played on a team. Mm. Um, eighth grade, you're right. That was grade. late. Yeah, that's late, right? But I was always athletic. You know, my father was a big part of, you know, um, that journey for me. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an athletic director at the Boys and Girls Club. So I was going, sneaking in there, <laughs> it was sneaking me in before I was old enough. So just always around sports. But eighth grade was the first time I really, you know, played a basketball competitively and on a team in that way. So, um, you know, softball and, and baseball was the first one that I really fell in love with. And uh, some volleyball in high school as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but. But basketball, I just fell in love with. Absolutely fell in love with the game, and um, you know, we'll go to the park, play with the guys. You know, and um, were you good? I mean, I was athletic. You know, okay. I still didn't have a lot of a lot of skills. You know, as as a young person, I could only you know use one hand. You know, could sh- shout a lot. Didn't make a lot, but, you know, so had a, <laughs> a very Shooter, uh, shoot. Is that where is that? We'll get to that, but shoot shooter, yeah, shoot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, um, so I just fell in love with it and just worked and worked and worked and, and played and, and went to camps and um, ended up having a really awesome just high school JV coach who who kind of took me and some of the other players kind of just under his wing and and took Mm -hmm. us to games all the time. And we got to see, um, you know, we got to see some real competitive high school girls basketball and that's where the dream kind of started.
0: Talk about that dream.
1: Where does that go after high school? Well, um, ended up playing on a very competitive AAU team, Mm -hmm. um, with, all Americans. I mean, we had players who went to Stanford, Notre Dame, Northwestern, um, you know, recruited by the Yukons before it was Yukon. Uh, yeah. Telling right. my age a little bit. <laughs> but uh, um, What was the name of the team? Rep your, your Set. American Eagles,
0: Oh, classic. New York. See, only yeah, New Yorkers know this, only New Yorkers.
1: Yeah, we had a dentist as a coach, you know, I didn't care. You know, his daughters played <laughs> and uh, that's how it was back then. You know, somebody's, your kids played and you coach. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, um, yeah, it was, it was college coaches would be in our practices. That was, the rules were different than a little more, uh, you know, able to go out and, and watch a little bit more. So we'd have coaches in our practice probably, you know, every other, every other day, um, Mm -hmm. during that time. And, um, you know, so it was obvious that that was something that could happen. Um, you know, And there was some players from upstate. It was Tanya Hanson was one of the, uh, she was, I think a year older, but she, had a great career, went on to play at uh, Rutgers University when they were solid, solid uh, going to the tournament. So, you know, again, we got to get out and see some college games. And um, I remember uh, Bridget Gordon from Tennessee. Classic. Yeah, she, uh, we went to a tournament up at Rutgers and she came out of the locker room, you know, gold chain down and everything. (sighs) From that moment, I said, oh, yeah. That's that's who I want. I want to be like Bridget Gold. Ah, shut up. <laughs> okay, so then. So I was recruited, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, heavily. Uh, mm-hmm. Had a lot of opportunities and um, really uh, was, you know, went on some visits. And I went to uh, USC at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lisa and Leslie and I are the same year. And I went on a visit there. Okay. And I thought I was going to USC. I really did. Um, But it was a little far from a kid from upstate New York. That's a whole um, new world. Ended up, George Mason was uh, one of my last visits. And I went there and I really, it's interesting, you know, you see women's basketball back then, you know, just the money. You think a school like USC facilities would be you know incredible mm-hmm. but you know they had football was the big thing there and then men's basketball women's basketball didn't really start to take off for them you know I, I guess you know with title IX and all of that things mm-hmm. really um improved. Yeah. Lisa Leslie had a lot to do with you know bringing that that visibility to to their school obviously there was Cheryl Miller and some great players at USC before that. Cynthia Cooper, she was USC as well, wasn't Mm -hmm. she? Cool. um, Legends. I I was kind of caught up in the nostalgia of USC, but the visit, it just didn't, you know, it it just has to feel like the right place for you. Mm -hmm. In George space, it felt like that place for me. I
0: I think that's still unique in... Uh, critical in recruiting for young athletes today that it has to feel right. Like it's gotta be something that you could see yourself, that you can envision growing, thriving, being successful, rather than, you know, just, oh, I like the colors or wow, this is a football weekend, you know? So it's interesting when you, when you drop those legends names and you, you include yourself as well, you know, we're talking at least 25, 30 years And that's still important in the recruiting process. So if you had to sum up your collegiate career, how would you sum it up?
1: Oh, man. Um, I think I, you know, um, it's interesting because George Mason started recruiting me kind of late and they were recruiting my cousin who was an all-American uh, so I, I felt like they were just throwing me in as a, you know, hopefully they'll get, you know, get my cousin to sign <laughs> on. But we didn't, you know, we didn't have any intentions on making a decision together. We both did end up at George Mason. Um, and I just, you know, when I went, I thought their team was solid and I thought I would have to really work to play. So I think that was a, one of the challenges that I, I liked. Um, but you know, things happened. Uh, one of the really good players had a knee injury at the beginning of my freshman year. So I got an opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's Um, all you, that's all you, that's all you asked for. and And I ran with it, you know, I ran with it, you know, I, I, my cousin and I have really good chemistry. Uh, we played high school ball together, won a state championship. And, um, so for me, it felt, very natural. You know, Mm -hmm. it was, it was an easy transition actually for me.
0: Okay. Um, Now, how does that, that transition, you know, from high school to college and with this podcast, I want to focus on what those transitions look like, feel like, how did you get into coaching? How did you transition from someone who had an illustrious career at George Mason and, and, you know, shout out to George Mason because I've had a couple former student athletes on this podcast that represent that institution. You know, what was that transition like? Like, how did you get into coaching?
1: You know, I I absolutely love basketball, and um, <laughs> you know, I didn't you know want to be done with it. Um, and during that time, you know, there was no WNBA, no no women's leagues here in the states. Um, so I would you know senior year came around. I just, you know, coach called me in the office. All I want, all I'm talking about is, coach, you got a job for me when I finish. <laughs> coach, you got, you got some room on the staff. You know, I'm trying, who's getting out? You got to get rid of somebody, coach. You know, uh, Jim Lewis was my uh, college coach. Shout out mm-hmm. to Jim Lewis. Okay, coach also Lewis. Also shout out to those, those George Mason guys. I heard uh, Shaq and Jai on there following Campbell mm-hmm. and uh, Jai Lewis on the podcast. So some good days, some good, solid people uh, from George Mason days. But I, um, speaking about that transition, um, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to stay around the game. Um, I wanted to, you know, I was happy at George Mason. I had a really, you know, good time, made a lot of great friends. And um, I wanted to stay there and continue that journey. Um, so um luckily what you know at the time it was they did the ncaa had created a new position mm-hmm. um and it was called the restricted earnings coach so oh, wow. i basically was coaching for free mm-hmm. <laughs> um, restitution <yeah. laughs> I mean, you know it was it was what i knew you know i had a I really studied the game. I watched it a lot, and I've just really, you know, loved the competitive uh, nature of it and the chess game, and mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing. So um, it was natural, I think. Um, and and that position was offered to, to me, and I jumped right on it. <laughs> now you spent eighteen years as an assistant coach.
0: If you could think back, what was your greatest advice given? and received because the impact that I know that you've had specifically on young ladies I mean we probably we would probably need another another episode in order to talk about the impact that you had in my career in recruiting me to George Mason so we won't even go there th- on this episode we'll do that in another one but uh, talk about
1: the greatest advice given
0: and received
1: you know that's a tough question I you know because 18 years you know (laughs) um I would say though um some of the advice that I've you know always try to give players you know there there's always a time I don't care who you are as a player There comes a point where you start to doubt yourself um going making that transition you know um the level is different. You got to adjust to different things. Um, people are watching video on you now, you know, and Mm -hmm. back in high school, you know, you didn't really have a lot of that scouting reports and that kind of thing, at least when I was coming up again, showing my age, but, um, (laughs) I'm gonna keep it real here. Um, you know, you didn't, you didn't watch tape on players. If you got to go see them play in person, you, you know, you took that opportunity, but, um, You know, we weren't Christ the King. We didn't have the video room and all of that (laughs) in high school. So, you know, going to college, um, you know, things, things change. People scout you. They take things away from Mm -hmm. your game. You always, so I would say just continuing to work on things that you're not good at. Mm. Um, You know, always add something to your game. Mm. Always add something. And, um and work on it, you know, uh, with the coaches, because, you know, last thing a coach want to see is you do something in a game that they've never seen before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, and it doesn't go well, right. If it goes well, everything's great. But, um, you know, grab a coach after practice, say, coach, can I work on this? Um, don't run away from your coaches, um, talk to them, tell them what you want to do, what your, you know, your, your goals are each mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Um, keep reminding them, you know, understand, ask him what your role is, you know, from beginning of the season, we know things change, check in with your coaches. Um, they appreciate that. They know where your head is, you know, what their head is and you focus on those things that they want you to do. Um, But you still continue to work on the things that you know you eventually want to do. If you want to, I remember um, Jim Laranaga at at George Mason had a great um, kind of test uh, that allowed you to now shoot three pointers in the game. Didn't matter who you were. If you knocked down a certain percentage on the shooting machine, Mm -hmm. then you we're able to now shoot threes in the game. Okay. Great life. So, you know, if coaches see you working on something and getting better at it, your game should evolve from your first year to your senior year. You shouldn't be the same player.
0: Right. Right. I think think that's in life in general. You know, who we were 10, 15 years ago to who we are now, that should continue to evolve. We should get better at perfecting adulting we should get better at managing time and relationships and just you know careers and jobs and so I would
1: absolutely agree with you on that one I love
0: yeah. it yeah.
1: now but the best advice that I received now yeah. this one I will tell you is um and I think you know you know um she was a sports psychologist at George Mason uh Debbie the so Dr. Wilson Dr. Wilson. Yes. Dr. Wilson. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, as captains, we, we got to, you know, meet with her, you know, periodically. And, um, she said once the difference between being a good player and a great player is how quickly you recover from a mistake. Ooh, mic drop. And that was it. You know, um, that's when I got that mentality of, Shoot, shoot till you make one. Once you make it, you're on a roll now. You got to keep shooting. You know, you can't worry about the missed shots. You can't worry about, you know, the last play. Basketball is a quick game. So um, that one really stuck with me over the years.
0: I love it. Okay, Yeah. Now we talked about high school to college, college into the, the coaching realm and what that has done for you as a person and and the impact that you have had on countless young ladies at more than one institution. Now I want to talk about your transition into the career that you're in now, which is in the fitness industry. Mm -hmm. You are a manager. Talk about what has been your greatest impact and how you've utilized the things that you've learned as a player, as an assistant coach and how that shows up now. Mm. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, you know, I think for me, one of the things that kind of drove me out of coaching—I mean, it was several things. You know, over the years, you kind of evaluate where you are in life, and you know, you where your passion is. But, um, you know, just this kind of psychological and um, mental kind of beating down of players and, in um, that some coaches kind of adapted in their coaching style. Um, and as an assistant coach, you know, you have to kind of fall in, in place, you know, you can't, you know, there can't be division, you know, you can't have your own style so much. Um mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what I saw was the coaches who were, you know, as you would say, some people say players coach, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, it just seemed like a better environment. Uh, and that's the kind of coaching approach I took with me, um, at the professional level, um, you know, with, uh, the staff and, and people that I was able to kind of lead in, uh, my second, uh, second phase of, of career. Um, just being able to create an environment where people feel, uh, safe to speak and express Mm -hmm. themselves. Um, So was it, so you were basically elevating,
0: or I should say, taking, taking those lessons that you had dealt with that adversity maybe towards the middle, the end of your coaching career in kind of translating that as you, as you transition into another industry, another career, because uh, just as you had mentioned earlier, we continue to evolve just because you do one thing doesn't mean that those transferable skills are not applicable as you transition into something new, as you start a new chapter.
1: Absolutely. You know, um, we're all learning. We're all continuing to grow. So You know, I approach it as a collaborative kind of situation. You know, I'm working with you to help you develop whatever it is you want to kind of develop. You know, Um, each player, each person, each employee, they don't have the same goals for, you know, what's going on. And so try to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. and uh, help them achieve whatever it is they see for themselves.
0: What steps do you encourage, you know, current professionals or trainers or or those who are transitioning uh, careers? Because I I deal with a lot of clients who are at this, you know, in this current state, this current climate that we're in, they're career changing. You know, so what steps do you encourage uh, leaders or professionals to get into management?
1: Uh, What do they have to execute in order to do that? Well, I think the first thing is you gotta be good at what you do as a as a player. So we'll use that term player. Um mm-hmm. you know, you gotta be good at that. You've got to ask questions. What I do you
0: mean what um, do you mean by that, Marcel? When you
1: say you gotta be good as a player, do I have to be good at You don't have to be the best player, but what you have to do is show the qualities of work ethic, right? You gotta be a hard worker. Um you got to show passion for it you got to ask questions you got to act like you're interested in this thing but i think if it's something that you're pursuing in that way that should be pretty natural um but you got to find mentors you got to find people that you can talk to openly that give you both sides of you know what that position looks like because sometimes we have this idea of You know, I I did too of coaches, you know, I said, Oh, you'll just come in here and (laughs) go to practice. That's, you know, I want to be, I want to coach. Um, but, um, there's a, there's a work that you have to put in and Mm -hmm. you need to find out what that roadmap looks like.
0: You know, Mm -hmm. what are
1: the skills that I need to be successful at, you know, that position and start to work on them before you get in that position. Um. A lot of times we just want to go from this spot to that spot without even you know doing some research, talking to some people. get that get that blueprint, you know mm-hmm. uh, and uh start to start to figure out how you're gonna kind of carve your path in that. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things. It's just really understanding that you know there are people that you need to connect with. I think, you know, you can be great at know everything in the world about, you know, um anything.
0: Mm-hmm. But if you
1: can't communicate that to the next person, you know, in this world that's kind of uh is is lost. You know, you can have all this knowledge and no one will ever know because you can't communicate that to another person. So um, just understanding that that people definitely are important in your path, you know, whether it's a mentor, um, someone that you admire from afar, but you you have to kind of figure out how to communicate, how to get across the fact that you have these skills.
0: Agreed. Agreed, and I would be yeah. remiss if I didn't share with the world that you have been the biggest mentor. And again, we need another episode for this, Marcel, but <laughs> I appreciate you giving you your flowers right now on this episode. You've been instrumental in every and anything that I've ever done uh, in sport and career. And so, wow. for you to share that with our listeners, I can relate. I can appreciate it. So I, I do. I thank you for that. Now, currently in your role. You are a manager. Uh, Talk about the impact of leadership because I think it's important. The fitness industry oftentimes can be looked at with a, you know, two-sided coin. We often see these Instagram models and everybody's fit and everybody's eating salad and, you know, dot, dot, dot. However, oftentimes we don't see people that look like us. Black women who are fit, who are knowledgeable, who are, like you said, passionate, who are able to connect with people, not just talk down, but talk with, talk above, talk through, talk around, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, however you want to phrase that, you know, how talk about the impact of leadership and how uh, that drives you in your current role.
1: You know, um, I always feel like I'm not doing enough in terms of that, you know, um, I really want to see more of us, um, you know, black females in that industry that really are at the top of the industry. Um, You know, they, we do well. If we, I think a lot of it is. (laughs) Mic drop. Yes, we do. We do well, (laughs) we work hard and we're good at, you know, I mean, obviously everybody's not great, but, but, I can bet on almost any black woman that I've 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 had in this industry that has done well. You know, Christina mm-hmm. uh, is, is and um you, you know me. I, I just think um <laughs> a lot of it is just not accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding where we can take it uh beyond. Instagram and, and right. you know, the social media world, you know, as a, as a black female, often our bodies are, you know, kind of exploited or, you know, is is kind of what we have. Unfortunately, what we see is what we have to show, you know, we have to, you know, go on Instagram and work,
0: you know, all that. Yeah, foolishness. Just, you know,
1: the, 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 the big glutes and the, you know, the small waist and the, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, that is not, um, you know, obviously a lot of black women are blessed in that way. Uh, but it, it isn't what fitness is all about. And, um, I think sometimes, you know, we get drawn into that kind of culture and, um, not understanding the opportunities for growth in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um. So, you know, I feel like for me, I would love to hire more, but I don't get a lot of applications from, <laughs> you know, so if you're listening to this podcast, yes. you're in the New York, Brooklyn area, and you're interested in a career in personal training or management and working in the fitness industry, um, please get in contact with me. Um, I'm always looking for, like I said, um, strong women generally, not even just black women. I think women in general, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people going through a fitness journey, um, you need compassion, you know, from your, your coach, your, your trainer, this kind of thing. Same thing I was talking about with, um, you know, basketball Mm -hmm. Um, is a lot of coaches, a lot of people lose compassion, forget you know how their journey was and um i think um women often are better at kind of giving compassion and and walking with you on that journey so um i find that they do really well um it's just not kind of a coach is you know if you ask a kid you know who's your coach or which one's the coach you put a man and a woman there they nine times out of 10 are probably going to point at the the demand and say, that's the coach, but women are exceptional coaches. Um, Right. Agreed. I I think it's just something that they don't pursue. We don't pursue enough. Mm -hmm. So would you say that
0: that compassion component, because my next question is what have been, some of the, what have been some of the effective ways that you've been successful in leading your teams or team Compassion is one of them. Is that would you agree with that? Oh,
1: absolutely. What are absolutely. what are some others? Um I think um having a collaborative approach to your leadership, you know. Um mm, talk about that. Yeah. I mean, and this is one of the things I like about um that I've learned, you know, I think uh Equinox, the company that I work for now, am I allowed to say that? I guess so. Um <laughs> They um, do a lot of, of, you know, just development um, in terms of leadership and that kind of thing. And one of the things that I've learned or adopted to is, you know, really just trying to understand the person um, and what they want and mm-hmm. allowing them to come to, you know, what do I need to work on? Um, where can I be better? You know, it's it's... A lot different um, in the industry I'm in mean, now because the people I'm managing are actually there to make money. So, you know, when you lay out the numbers, a lot of times they <laughs> see the opportunities,
0: Real clear.
1: opportunities and these kinds of things. You know, um, you know that's enough to motivate them sometimes. Sometimes it isn't, and um, you know, I I try to let people come to these things on their own with a little guidance and a little, you know, prompting with certain questions. But, you know, I'm, I think things run better and, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I want work to not feel like work, you know, so Mm.
0: that's another mic drop. I want work to feel like it's not
1: work. Mm -hmm. I want it to feel like, you know, this is just the thing I'm into and this is what I'm doing. Um, and I think you know, ha- for me, having a, a a strong hand in my hiring process, I hire people that I connect with. Mm-hmm. You know, Important. if I'm on, you know, if I have you sitting in front of me and I'm just bored to death, or you know, I can't connect, and you know, I I feel like you're gonna have a hard time connecting to people, and that's that's what what I do at the end of the day is you know, we're all trying to, um, you know, I I tell this all the time It's basically, you know, I'm at one of the top luxury fitness brands in the world. Right. Mm And so the members that come in, the clientele, the brand that we are is a luxury brand. So we deal with people who are influencers and whatever, you know, uh, industry they work in, you know, they have to make a lot of money to be able to kind of afford that membership. And so we get the opportunity to influence the people who are the influencers in the world, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. that's a special person. You know, I I don't think that, you know, if you can't connect to people, if you can't give them something uh, more than just a work out. Um it's uh it's gonna be a tough road for you. Um and I think just having interest, I think I use my my position as the opportunity to get to know a lot of people, mm-hmm. to know a lot about what they do, um and just just really continue to learn and, and keep my um you know my growth happening. Uh, I don't look at myself as the leader in that way. I look at myself as a facilitator. You know, mm. I want it to go this way. So how can I put people in these positions to make that happen? Um and uh it's been it's been really great. Uh I I, I really have a team currently that I absolutely love. And we know um you know team to team is always different. You have some right. years some teams right. that you just can't wait to you know, this person graduates and this person, you know, gets fired or whatever, <laughs> whatever the case may be. There are some people that just, um, don't fit with your team, with your style. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's a juggling act, but I've been really blessed. I think now to have a team that is, is, um, they really understand that, that journey and, uh, doesn't feel like work for many of us. I mean, obviously you 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 know, I'm in an industry that has you get up rather early. <laughs> um, Five a m um, club. Yeah. We open at, you know, 5 30 a.m. So, you know, um and and but it's been um it's been great. You know, there there's some days where, you know, you don't wanna get up. Maybe mm-hmm. just, I think that's, you know, as you get older, you feel like you need more rest. But, uh, <laughs> that's normal. <laughs> but once I get there, I walk in the door and it is just, it really uplifts me. Um, the people. The, Shout you know, out to Alex. Come on. Yeah. Alex Daniels. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Come you got to get him on the podcast. Best, G- best GM
0: I ever had. Yeah. He's Frank too, but we'll, Alex and Frank were my best.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So talk to me Marcel about your morning nuggets cuz you've just shared with us how you lead, uh, what kind of coach you are, and I think that's important for folks to really understand to hear that. Not just in basketball, but in the fitness industry, in a profession that is it, you know, fitness is like the wheel. It's never going anywhere. It continues to evolve. Talk about your morning nuggets, your daily mantras that you that you that you do every day to help you stay grounded, stay clear, mm-hmm. stay motivated?
1: Well, you know, I think um, number one thing that I try to do every day is to learn something new. Uh, whether that's something new, um, you know, well, have a conversation with a new person Um, And I have the opportunity, again, I work in a place that's very transient. People are in and out all day. So I get to kind of interact or, you know, well, you know, COVID. So we, you know, we want to, we don't interact with as many people these days, but, um, you know, just really being open each day to a new experience, um, you know, it's, you can get, bogged down with your routine, which I think is also very important. Um, you know, I, you know, I have to have my evening routine and morning routine. I, you know, it's a bath, it's a tea, it's, you know, it's really, um, kind of taking, starting my day with myself, um, because, Mm. you know, the rest of my day is, is really heavy on people. So I try to start that day with, you know, some time for myself and and really just kind of relaxing and uh, not trying to think about too many things that um, I have ahead of me. Um, make your list, have your list. That way, it doesn't have to stay in your head so much. Um, mm. But I think um, just really being open each day to to learning something new about a person. I don't care if it's, you know, we have, you know, this is New York City. So, you know, homeless people are always there. And I don't, you know, sometimes you're in a rush and, you know, you don't want to be too open and, you know, talk to everybody. But, you know, there's some, you know, outside my job, the same two guys, you know, every day. So, you know, I talk to them too, you know, and I find out, I found out, you know, a little bit about where they are and, you know, and their journey, because the more you know about, people um the more you can kind of survive and navigate life um i love to travel so Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) you know that that's all i'm you know so this this just for me i think it's just having that um continued uh kind of curiosity about life and people um you'll always continue to grow
0: i love it i love it For more resources, go to ChristinaAlexander.com where you can find more information not only on myself but as well as my guest. I appreciate you for joining me, Marcel. Thank you so very much. Join us next week for a new episode. And as always, appreciate you guys.
1: Love it. Keep it up, Christina.